Well, once again, good morning to you, church family. It's good to worship together here in this place. Uh, before we jump into today's message, I just want to say a special thanks to our dear friends at AACF Asian American Christian Fellowship for leading us in worship. Can we thank them, church friend? Yeah, the, let's, let's thank them for leading us in worship this morning. Big thanks to you guys. You know, I got to say, I know I say this every now and then, but I just, I think it's worth mentioning again. I, I one of the things that I love about our church community here, uh, here at ACF is that we get to worship with other believers on this campus, uh, from, from other campus ministries, whether it's uh, ACF or whether it's, you know, we have a whole host of different campus ministries represented, uh, not just he, here in this room, uh, but, but across our entire campus, Navigators, Crew, DCF, VCF, and, you know, all kinds of CFs, right? We got all kinds of Christian fellowships out there, and uh, for, for one hour or so on a Sunday morning, we get to, we get to associate with one name, not the name of our organization, not the name of our campus ministry. We get to identify ourselves under one name, the name of Jesus. And, and to me, that's something special. I, I, I love that we get to gather together under the banner of Jesus and exalt his name. And so that's what we did a little bit this morning, and that's what we're going to do as we open up God's word. And so excited to, to be here with you. I hope you're all awake. And uh, I don't know how many of you made it out to Thon at the BJC at all this past weekend, but if you're at all sleep deprived because of Thon or you're just in a constant state of sleep deprivation I, because you're a college student. I don't know. Uh, whatever the case might be, I hope you're here ready to receive God's word um, here this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have a smart device, you can pull that up if you like. And uh, we're going to display the text up here on the screen as well. You can look along that way. Several ways you can read through 1 Kings. But we're going to be in chapter 19 here. Uh, if you were with us last week, I mentioned that we were pushing last week's message that we were supposed to dive into to this week. And, uh, and so I want to use 1 Kings 19 today more or less as a launch pad. Uh, similar to last week, we're going to be using different various places in Scripture um, to, to talk about some of, the, some of the key points for today's message. And so I'm not going to be necessarily doing a deep dive into 1 Kings 19. And in fact, 1 Kings 18 and 19, we could probably devote a whole five-week series on just those two chapters. Um, but, but just for this morning, we're going to use this passage in 1 Kings, as a, again, as a launch pad, as a starting point for where I want to take us for the rest of this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and look with me at 1 Kings 19, and we're going to pick up in verse 9 and uh, carry through to verse 18. And this morning I've asked uh, our dear friend Alex to come on up, and uh, she's going to read today's passage for us, 1 Kings 19, verse 9 through 18. And so Alex, won't you read that passage for us? There he came to a cave and lodged in. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. 
But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate that. This passage has a, a few tough names, and uh, Alex, you crushed it, man. That's, uh, that was great. Um, I, I, as you read this, uh, this story, um, if you don't know what's happening in the story, th- this passage might seem a bit odd to you. And in, in short, again, we're not going to unpack this passage in great detail, but in short, without going into uh, a whole lot, this passage is capturing a part of the journey of one of God's Old Testament prophets named Elijah. Uh, Elijah is one of the most famous uh, Old Testament prophets that we have, and yet we don't have a whole lot of his story, but it is captured here in in the book of 1 Kings. And God uses Elijah in some powerful ways. I mean, if you remember uh, several weeks back, we talked about Gideon, right? He's one of the the judges of Israel. And um, uh, we find that Gideon was a fearful of a man. He was was scared. And and, um, you remember he was hiding out from the Midianites in a cave. And and, uh, so much of his life was driven by the sense of doubt and fear. On the other complete end of the spectrum, of the fear, uh, boldness spectrum, you've got Elijah. Elijah kind of sits on that other end. Elijah is sort of the antithesis of Gideon. He's sort of the anti-Gideon. Elijah was bold. He was courageous. He had this incredible amount of confidence in God. And you see this as he confronts one of Israel's most corrupt king, King Ahab, in 1 Kings 18 in the previous chapter. He he confronts him without any hesitation. I mean, imagine confronting this evil king. Imagine the kind of courage you would need to muster up. And yet Elijah moves forth without any hesitation in his steps. And then we move almost immediately from that story into one of Elijah's most iconic moments. I mean, if he had a highlight reel, this would be uh, the the pinnacle of his career where he faces off with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. It's this epic scene of of Elijah going toe-to-toe with these false prophets, and it's an absolute must-read. Again, if you have the time, go ahead, read through uh, 1 Kings 18 and 19. We won't go into all the details here, but Elijah, once again, demonstrates this, this incredible Incredible faith and boldness and courage, unlike anyone else. That's what makes Elijah so uh, such an interesting prophet in the Old Testament stories. But then, shortly after that, 
Shortly after this, this incredible moment where like Elijah just, just steps up in a big way, I mean just really big way against the prophets of Baal, he then falls into a bit of a slump. We find him slipping into a kind of depression and fear. We find him in a kind of wilderness. Because here's the thing, folks. Even the greats like Elijah will occasionally find themselves in the wilderness. You know, here's the thing about wilderness experiences. Sometimes I think we have it uh, ingrained into our heads. I don't know where we have acquired it from or where we get it from, but we think that if we have enough faith and if we please God enough with our faith, then God will prevent us from having these kinds of wilderness experiences these kinds of hard times, these kinds of times marked by trials and tribulations and hardships. Like, I've got faith like Elijah. I've got courage. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going after a big, big faith, right? Like, surely God's not going to bring me through a wilderness experience. And, and friends, if that's where our mind goes, I'm afraid we missed a whole lot of what the series is actually about. God actually brings us through these wilderness to actually build up our faith even more. In fact, that big faith that you have that you think will prevent you from the wilderness is the very thing that God will use to sustain you in the wilderness. And so this, this faith and courage that we have in God, like Elijah had, does not necessarily prevent the wilderness experiences from finding us. Occasionally, even the greats, like Elijah, will find themselves in wilderness experiences. Now, in today's passage, we get to Elijah in the wilderness, ironically, hiding in a cave, much like Gideon was back in Judges 6. But now, here's the thing I want to pull out of this passage. I want you to see that in the midst of Elijah's wilderness moment, God's voice comes to Elijah. God's voice comes to Elijah. If there's anything that is helpful in our wilderness moments and the wilderness seasons of our lives, if there's anything that would help us through the difficulties and the trials and the hardships of the wilderness experiences in our lives, friends, it is this. It's the ability to hear the still, small voice of God. You know, in all my times of wilderness living, in all my times of journeying through various wilderness experiences, and I could point to various seasons of my life where, man, things were crappy, things were hard. I just, I, I felt like, you know, nothing was going right. I mean, I, I, everything was overwhelming. Everything was mounting up. I don't know if you've ever experienced moments like that where you feel like, I don't know how much I can carry this weight any, any further, any longer. In those moments, in those moments, my, the single greatest thing that I've had to hold on to is the still, small voice of God. More often than not, God's voice will come to us, not as a great, strong, mighty wind. Many times it won't come to us in the form of a rattling earthquake. Many times it won't come to us in the form of a blazing fire. More often than not, God's voice, when we are in the wilderness, and I think he does this on purpose, I think sometimes God takes us out into the wilderness so that all other voices would be silent so that we can be finely tuned in to the one voice that matters, the still, small voice of God. God's voice will come to us in the form of a low whisper. And this morning, I want to show you how to listen for the whisper of God. 
I want to show you how to listen for the whisper of God, the, the still, small voice of God. For those of you who have a hard time discerning the voice of God in your life, I want to offer up five specific questions to ask in your discerning of that still, small voice. And this is a teaching that I've acquired from, from one of my mentors back in college. Uh, he, he did a lot of teaching on this, and so this is largely influenced by that. But, but as, we, as we think about, you know, when we're, when we're in that wilderness experience, sometimes the only thing that's going to get us through that is the voice of God. It's, it's, it's God speaking to us and, and, and informing us and influencing us, influencing us in those moments. But, but the question is, how do we know? How do we know when we are hearing the still small voice of God? Like earthquakes, we can, we can recognize, right? Like there is a cataclysmic shift in the ground. I feel it. I know it. It's undeniable. Blazing fire? Yeah. Strong winds that break rocks? Yeah. That's easily identifiable. But how do we identify that low whisper that comes, maybe in the silence, maybe in the void. How do you know it's the things that you're hearing in your life are not just your crazy voices or your crazy thoughts or maybe the voice of your, your, your parents, your voice of your, your grandparents, the voice of, of, of your friends, your roommates, the voice of you know, uh, all these people that, are, that have played an influential role in your life. How do you know that that still small voice that you're hearing is actually from God or it's something entirely different. Well, we run it through this test, this five-question test that I think will help us tune into the voice of God, that still small voice. The first question is this. It's very simple. Is it in agreement with God's word? Is what you're hearing, is, is the voice in your life in agreement with God's word? Is there congruence with scripture? Because here's the thing, friends. God's spoken word will never contradict his written word. God will never say something that he, he contradicts what he's already said in his written word. In, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 18, Jesus is talking about the scriptures here, and he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from this book until all is accomplished. Jesus essentially here is claiming the scriptures as the final authority. He, he says this is, this is the ultimate authority that we are to live our lives upon and build our foundation upon. God's word has the final say. And next week, we're going to unpack this just a little bit more. But, but for now, um, I want to turn your attention to what Paul says now in 2 Timothy 3.16. If you know this passage, you know it by heart. All scripture is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Paul is basically saying here that the very words that we read in Scripture are written in such a way as if it were, they were spoken from the very mouth of God. They were breathed out from the very mouth of God. If God were to have a stamp with bold letters, approved, I approve of this message, he would stamp it on the Bible and make this statement that nothing I say to you will ever contradict this book, which then requires something of us. This requires us to be a student, then, of the Word. You know, sometimes I think we're so busy trying to listen for the voice of God while this is just sitting on our shelves collecting dust. And we're like, why is God not speaking to me? Why can't I understand his will for my life? What is, what is, what is, why is God so silent it could be that he's just asking you 
to open up his message to you, his love letter to you. Open up the word and be a student of the word. If you don't know the written word of God, friends, I'm telling you right now, you're going to have a really hard time discerning the spoken word of God. You can have a really hard time discerning when and how God speaks. And so a good test to run for the voices that we hear in our lives would be to ask this first question. Is what I'm hearing and sensing backed up in Scripture? Is it congruent with what Scripture already teaches? Right? Is, the, is the voice in my life in agreement with God's word? If the answer is no, then you can safely bet that that's probably not God's voice. But if the answer is yes then you can move on to the next question. Next question is, does it strengthen, encourage, or comfort? When you think about the voices in your life and you're trying to discern that still small voice of God, ask yourself the question, does it strengthen, encourage, or comfort? Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Does the voice of God strengthen, encourage, and comfort? Now, real quick, what is, what is prophecy, right? Paul says, the one who prophesies. What is prophecy? Prophecy is real simple. It's hearing from God and speaking that which you hear. That's what prophecy is. It's real simple. We don't need to make it more complicated than it needs to be. It's not like some voodoo magic, like prophecy. Woo! You know, like it's like, you know, we're called the witch doctor. That's not what this is about. When we think about prophecy, particularly prophecy from a biblical perspective, the Old Testament prophets, what was their job? Their job was to hear from God and to speak that which they hear. To hear from God and to speak that which they were essentially spokesmen for God. And oftentimes, oftentimes, their message was for the purposes of strengthening the people of God, encouraging the people along, and comforting with the heart of God. And so the voice of God will come almost always to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Now, another way to look at this might be this way. As you discern the voice of God, go ahead and ask yourself the question, is this a condemning voice or is this a life-giving voice? When you're discerning the voice of God and you're trying to discern, like, is this, is, is this strengthening me? Is this encouraging me? Is this comforting me? I'm not really sure. Well, just boil it down to this very, very simple binary kind of dichotomy here. Is, it, is the voice that you're hearing in your head, is it a condemning voice or is it a life-giving voice? Now, before you answer that question, a quick word of warning. Do not confuse condemnation for conviction. Do not confuse condemnation for conviction. Now, the two may feel very similar at first, i.e., not so good, <laughs> okay? Condemnation and conviction may not feel super great at first, but, but they yield vastly different results. A condemning voice will almost always be accusatory. It will be shame-based. It will be destructive, and it will ultimately lead you to death. But conviction... The conviction of the Holy Spirit, though it may not feel good at first, produces hope. It restores, it heals, and it ultimately leads to life. I think about Paul's words in Romans chapter 8 where, where he says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Okay, the, the, the voice of God that will never come in a condemning voice. There is now no condemnation. Again, this is congruent with Scripture, so we can take this to the bank. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin 
and death. Paul's message to us here is God desires to breathe life into us, not death. And his voice will follow suit. It will always follow suit. And so that still small small voice will always be a life-giving voice that comes to strengthen us, that comes to encourage us, and that comes to comfort us. It is a life-giving voice. I got five questions, so I'm going to move on to the next one. The third question is this. Does it exalt Jesus? When you're processing the voices in your life, you got to ask yourself the question, does this voice exalt Jesus? But, but maybe even more, a, a basic question is, who does it exalt, right? Like when you're, well, upon listening to these various voices in your life, who ends up sitting on the throne of your life? Who ends up sitting in the driver's seat of your life? If it's anyone other than Jesus, you've got to really ask yourself the question, is this really the voice of God that I'm hearing? Uh, I want you to listen to how Jesus put it in John chapter 16. Jesus is teaching on the Holy Spirit here. John chapter 16 is one of the chapters in, in the Gospel of John where Jesus unpacks the role of the Holy Spirit to a great degree. He says here, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, just we're going to come back to that one section here just in a little while. But, but he goes on. He says, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. Now, now he, he's talking about hearing God's voice here. Okay, he's talking about the Holy Spirit is going to, he's going to make known to you. He's going to make the voice of God known to you and discernible in your life. But he continues on and he states the purpose of hearing God's voice. He says, he will glorify me. This is Jesus speaking. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he will speak it to you. He will declare it to you. In other words, when the voice of God declares something to you, it will always be for the glory of Jesus. It will always be for the glory of Jesus and his honor. And so you got to ask yourself, does this voice I'm hearing honor Christ? Does this voice that I'm hearing, does it point me further and further to Jesus? Does it, does it reorient my life and does it, does it reshift my life and refocus my life squarely on the person of Jesus? Does Jesus get the honor here? Does he get the recognition here? Is Jesus made much of here in this moment? John, the apostle John, put it this way in this one very simple statement in Revelation 19, verse 10, towards the end of that verse. He says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Again, if prophecy is about hearing from God and speaking that which you hear, then what you hear and speak about should be testifying to who Jesus is. Are you seeing that? Like, like if the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy or the spirit of prophecy, in other words, hearing from God and speaking that which I hear, if that is, if that is truly God, then we've got to conclude that it has to testify about Jesus. For the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, the voice of God, will always, always lead us deeper and deeper into Christ's character and his nature and his essence. I, I, I've mentioned this before in the past, but there, there are some people in my life, and I'm sure you could think of some yourself, but there are some people in my life when the, that when I talk to, they, they, have this, they have this incredible ability to hear God's voice. You know, they, they can hear God. They have a, they're profoundly discerning, and as they journey with Christ, and as they journey with God, like they're able to tune in to that still, small voice 
on, on a level that uh, not many people can. And, and almost always when I spend time with them and they're sharing things with their, what, of what God is showing them and what God is speaking to them on and, and what they're hearing from the heart of God, I usually leave feeling my affections and my love stirred up for Jesus more deeply. That's how I know I've heard from God. When my heart is stirred and when my life is redirected to a greater sense of love and affection and awe for Jesus. Now, if I were to leave that conversation with that person with an overinflated sense of, of love and awe for the person more so than Jesus, again, you have to wonder, are you really tuned in to the voice of God? Because God's voice will always lead us to a greater sense of honor and exaltation of the person of Christ, more so than anyone else. So the question is, does it exalt Jesus? Is Jesus, is Jesus the centerpiece in this, in this moment where I'm hearing the voice of God, when, I'm, when I'm, I'm trying to discern the voice of God, is Jesus front and center in my life and in this moment? Which leads me to my fourth question, and it, that is, does it bear good fruit? Does it bear kingdom fruit? Does it bear good fruit? You know, many of us are, are familiar with the idea of cause and effect, right? Because of a certain type of cause is a certain type of effect. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, the cause and effect play out in the same ways, except we use language like fruit bearing or bearing fruit. And where does that come from? Well, it comes from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, hey, guys, beware of false prophets. Now, what are false prophets? If prophets are people who hear from God and speak what they hear, false prophets are people who think they hear from God and who end up speaking falsely on his behalf. And Jesus says, beware of these guys. Beware of these false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And he's talking to his disciples here in this moment. And I got to imagine the disciples are wondering, they're asking, but Lord, how will we know? How will we know who is actually hearing from God and speaking on his behalf and those who think that they're hearing from God and who are falsely speaking on his behalf? And Jesus goes on, and in verse 16, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer here is obviously no. In other words, Jesus is saying, you will know what's from God and what is not by the fruit that comes about. And one of my mentors in college, he used to say it this way. He used to say, a, a, a prophetic word from God, a word from God, should always be a confirming factor, never a leading factor. It should always be a confirming factor. It should bear fruit somewhere down the line, and it should never be a leading factor. So, for example, let, let's, just, let's just say that you believe that you heard from God. You were in prayer and that you felt like you, were, you heard from God regarding, let's just say, your future career, right? Like we're all here as Penn State students. We're trying to figure out our lives and our next steps, our future career. Let's just say that you were praying about it and you heard from God or you think that you heard from God regarding your future career. And I'll just, I'll just pick this silly example for just, just for example's sake here this morning. Let's just say that as you were praying about your future career, you saw a company logo, 
right? Like you just saw, you saw a company logo. You pick any, any company, right? Like you saw this company logo. Now, if you use that vision, if you use that moment in your prayer time as a leading factor, you may be inclined to submit an application to only that single company. You say, this is it. God, God spoke thus, saith the Lord, I am working for Google. I'm off to Facebook. Like that, that's the logo I saw, so that's where God must be leading me, right? And, and, then, and then you give them, give them a call. You know, you're like, you tell them, hey, listen, I don't know if you got the vision, but I got a vision. I'm supposed to be working there. Like, like open up a job, like open up that office, the corner, I'm, I'm on my way. Like, it's like, you think like this, if you see that and, and you interpret that as a leading factor in your life, you see where that leads you. But on the other hand, on the other hand, if you use that vision as a confirming factor, you're no longer trying to drive the agenda. You receive whatever you believe you received from God in that moment, what he has given you, and you hold it with an open hand. You hold it with an open hand, and you let God confirm his voice in your life. If God spoke it, he'll confirm it. You don't need to go confirming it for him. If God spoke it to you, he will confirm it down the line. See, that's the whole concept of like, don't let God's word in your life, his spoken word, be a leading factor. Rather, let it be a confirming factor. And so whenever you, whenever you sense you hear something from God, you say, thank you, God, and you hold it with an open hand, and you say, okay, now I'm going to leave it up to you to confirm what I heard. And you let God confirm that in your life. And so that image of the company logo, if it is from God, God will open up that door for you. God will call Mark Zuckerberg, and he'll open up that door for you. God will call the CEO of Google and open up that door for you. You don't have to force it open. That's the good news. You see, when God speaks to us, he takes all the pressure off of us. Because he says, hey, I, I'm, I'm giving this to you to let you know I'm going to be opening up a door somewhere down the road for you. Stay tuned. You see, that's what we mean when we say, does it bear good fruit? If, if, if what you hear, what you believe that you hear from God is not actually bearing good fruit, you've got to pause for a moment and ask yourself, is this really from God? Is this, is this, is this fruit-bearing thing actually happening in my life? You will know what's from God and what's not, not by the fruit that comes about. And the kinds of fruit that ought to come about, in case you're wondering, you know, again, you don't have to go searching for, like, what kind of fruit should I be looking for? Well, Scripture tells us, Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit, right? Like, when, when, when the Spirit of God comes and God speaks his heart to you, this is what should be produced. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness and self-control. When you hear the voice of God, does it produce in your life greater love, greater joy? Greater patience, greater kindness and gentleness. Does it bear good fruit? Does it bear good fruit? Let me end with this last question. This last question to put God's voice to the test and see if it's truly the still small voice of God or not. Is does the Holy Spirit bear witness that it is true? Does the Holy Spirit bear witness with your soul that it is true. We read this verse just a few moments ago in John chapter 16, where Jesus, again, he's teaching on the Holy Spirit, and he, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You see, the very nature of the Holy Spirit is 
truth. It is at the core of who he is, and it is at the essence of what he does. Truth is at the foundation of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Out of his nature, the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truths. And so you got to ask yourself the question, is the Holy Spirit testifying that what I'm hearing in this moment is indeed true? Part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to whether or not the voices you hear in your life is truly of God or not. Uh, Peter put it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1, for, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. I love that. In, in other words, man didn't start this conversation, this cosmic conversation between us and God. God did. God started this conversation. God started speaking to us. And then what followed was men then spoke from God as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit was the one who was all along bear witness that what you're hearing, O men of God, is actually of God. The Holy Spirit was the one who was carrying this all the way through. The Holy Spirit is the one who facilitates this entire conversation between us and God. He is the one who stands between us and God and serves as the mediator, or better yet, the, the filter that filters out the small voice of God in the midst of the rest of the noise of our world. And that's what we mean when we ask the question, does the Holy Spirit bear witness that it is true? That's part of the job of the Holy Spirit. We cannot hear the voice of God apart from the Holy Spirit opening our ears and leading us to the truth of God's voice. But now the, question, the next question naturally becomes, how does he do that? How does, he, how does he bear witness that what we're hearing is actually from God? How does the Holy Spirit exactly bear witness that what we're hearing is indeed the still small voice of God? Well, the Bible not only describes the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth, but it also describes the Holy Spirit as the spirit of peace. We see this in John chapter 14, we see this in 1 Thessalonians 5, we see this in Romans chapter 14, and, and, and if, if the Holy Spirit, we see this in several places where the Holy Spirit is understood as the spirit of peace, if the Holy Spirit is a spirit of peace, our job becomes real simple. In this discerning process of trying to hear the still small voice of God, our job becomes real simple, it's to simply follow the peace. Follow the peace. Those three words, I'm telling you right now, friends, will save you from a lifetime of headache and heartache. Just follow the peace. Follow the peace. Whenever I'm caught in a difficult decision or I'm asking some big questions of God, God, what do I do here? What purpose would you have for me here? What's your will for my life? Which direction should I go with, with the next steps here in my journey? One of the things that I'll always do, I will always find that when God speaks, there's peace. When God speaks, there's peace. Anytime I'm wrestling through life's big questions, you know, you, you fill in the blank with any big question you might be wrestling with. When God speaks, there's peace. There might not always be crystal clear answers, but there's always peace. I might not have the full picture in view or the grand 10-year plan of my life, but there's always peace. I might not understand all of what God is doing in the present moment, or I might not have all the puzzle pieces in the exact places where they should go, but there's always a sense of peace when God speaks, because when God speaks, there's peace. There's peace. That's how I know when I'm hearing from God. In fact, that was much of the process for how my family and I ended up here at Penn State, even in the first place. Uh, about seven and a half years ago, 
We follow the peace. We follow the peace. You see, for, for me, pastoring a college church was nowhere on my radar. No offense, but I never wanted to work with college students. I love you. I've come to love you. I, I, but but it, seven and a half years ago, seven and a half years ago, it was nowhere on my radar. It was like, you know, you might as well have told me to, you know, I, I don't know, just pick any random occupation. Like, hey, Dan, you want to go do that? I'm like, no, I've never given that even a, a first thought, let alone a second thought. I didn't know the first thing about pastoring a college church or working with college students. I didn't even know where Penn State University was. I didn't know State College was even a town. You know, it's like I grew up in New York City. Like that was all I knew. I was in, like, and, and so there, there was for me. There was a lot of questions that that circled. There were a lot of unanswered questions. There, there were lots to be uncertain about. We didn't know where we were going to live once we moved out here if we would enjoy life outside of New York City, given that that was all that I knew, that was all that our family knew. We weren't sure if we would feel comfortable working in a university environment, if that was a good fit for us, or how our kids would adjust to this transition at this time. Things weren't all super clear. In fact, there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot that was just not very clear. But I remember on the drive back after our first visit out here to State College, our first visit, which by the way, the first visit driving out to State College, we saw nothing but farmland and it was like four hours of like horse and buggy. Like we almost pulled a quick Yui and we said, nope, God, this isn't for us. Like this is not, this is not what we want to enter into. And, 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 but we kept pressing on, we kept pressing on and Google Maps told us to go here and there. So we ended up here in State College and we got, we got a little tour of the university and we got to, we got to meet some, uh, some students from ACF at the time. And I remember on the drive back from State College, my wife and I looked at each other and we very simply with, with great confidence said, this is it. This is it. At the time, I was actually candidating at three different churches and two of those churches had offers on the table. As soon as we got home, I called those churches and I, and, and I said, thanks for the offer, but, but I, I think God is leading us in a different direction. Mind you, I didn't get an offer from here. <laughs> there was no, there was no uh, official offer. I, was, I started closing the doors. Why? Because I was following the peace. I wasn't following the logic. You know what I mean? Like, like human reason says, follow the logic. Dan, you don't shut down doors until another door opens for security's sake. You know, like I, there, there's, some, there's a way you do this. You're doing it backwards, right? You know, and if you were to talk with Elijah when he was facing off and going toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal, you would say, Elijah, there, there's a way to do this. You don't, you don't ask God to douse your offering with water before you ask fire to rain down on it. Like, there's a certain way to do this, and you're doing it backwards. On that ride back, there was this undeniable peace in that moment that the still small voice of God had spoken. And that's how the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that it is true. And, and for every major moment in my life, that's how I've handled those decision-making processes. 
yeah, sure, make pros and cons lists. Yeah, like talk, seek counsel and all of those things. I think that's very important and very valuable. But at the end of the day, if your heart and your desire is to follow where God would lead you, when God speaks, there's always peace. And so follow the peace. Follow the peace. Follow the peace. And, that, and that's for, for some of us, that's just going to be a simple gut check. It's like, do I feel settled on this issue? I feel settled on this issue. And, and I'm telling you right now, there are going to be moments in your journey where you're going to start learning how to detach common sense and reason from your perception of peace. Okay? Because I think for some of us, we're like, I'm not going to feel peace until I get all the answers. Anyone with me? Like, I, that's, for me, that was a little bit of the process. And seven and a half years ago, Nicole and I were sitting down. We're like, but God, but God. But God, and, 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 and God was like, but son, <laughs> just follow the peace. I'm giving you the gift of peace here. The Holy Spirit is, is checking off and bear witness and saying, yes, this is from me. You don't have all the answers. In fact, you still got lots of questions. And seven and a half years later, there are some days where I'm still wondering, oh, God, what am I doing? How did I end up here? Like, what? And God's like, I've led you here. I've brought you to these places. And there are going to be places where God brings you where you don't have all the answers. You're going toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal, and you're looking at a doused pile of firewood, and you're, like, you're asking yourself, how is God going to do this? But in that moment, in all the questions and doubts, you know deep down inside that God's in this. You have this settled feeling in your gut that says, oh, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness that this is, this is of God and God is in this. Friends, when we find ourselves in the wilderness of life, the thing that will carry you through, I'm telling you right now, is listening for the still, small voice of God. And because God's voice doesn't come to us in the form of an earthquake, it doesn't come to us in the form of a great wind or a blazing fire, we must learn, we must learn how to discern the whispers of God. And when they come, we must be tuned into that. And if we ask these questions as a test for discerning God's voice, run it through the grid of these five questions, we will find, I promise you, you will find that God is present and consistently speaking to you, even in your wilderness experiences. Maybe even especially in your wilderness experiences. As a church family, I want to encourage you this morning. Would you learn, would you learn, would you learn to listen for the still, small voice of God? Would you pray with me?